0: Well, Taylor, uh, by the way, that joke will resurface this week. I'm a dad. I'm a big fan of the dad joke. It actually reminds me of a guy. It's a good segue, right? Reminds me of a guy who's driving through a neighborhood and sees a sign in a yard that says, Talking Dog for Sale. No joke. He pulls in, like, I got to see this. Goes to the owner and says, Hey. Like, for real, you have a talking dog? The guy goes, yeah, he's around back. This guy makes his way around the back of the house, and there's a dog just laying there. So this guy looks at him and says, so can you talk? The dog looks up at him and goes, yep. The guy says, what? What is your story? And the dog says, well, I discovered this gift when I was just a puppy. And I really wanted to serve my country. So I went to work for the CIA. I was undercover, spied on a lot of people. Got a lot of uh, top secret information. Caused a lot of governments to actually collapse because of the information I had. Won lots of medals and awards. And then retired. Got a wife. Had a lot of puppies. Now I'm I'm just hanging out in the backyard. And the guy thought man this would be incredible to to have a dog that could eavesdrop on people you what an unbelievable resource to have so he goes to the owner and says hey man what do you want for the dog the guy says ten dollars dude goes wait do you mind me asking why you're only asking ten dollars and he said he's a liar Thank you. Thank you. That's what's good to come on. Now, we don't <laughs> now, wouldn't it be great to have an eavesdropping dog? Yes, it would, right? You could send him off to spy on the neighbors, the roommates. Um, we don't have a dog that eavesdrops tonight, sorry. But the idea of eavesdropping... Um, Does play into the text tonight. We have two groups of people in the passage tonight that we're going to look at. It's in the book of Malachi. And when we look at this passage, you're going to see something about the character and the nature of God. One is that he is omnipresent, that means he is everywhere, and he is omniscient, he is all knowing, he hears every conversation. So we have an eavesdropping God. That should make you really uncomfortable, all right? He's listening and there are two groups of people in this passage talking, the two groups of people, a group number one is a group that looks around and complains and group number two is a group that looks up and comprehends, all right? So that's the two groups of people. And when we get to the end of the passage, Malachi is going to tell tell us that you are going to see the distinction between these two groups of people. The Bible breaks, you know, we we live in a culture where you're not supposed to categorize people, right? Everybody gets all offended and triggered. Um, Some of you are already there. It's okay. If you're not, just wait. Um, The Bible categorizes people. Actually, the book of Proverbs is broken down into two groups of people, the wicked and the righteous. And when you get to the end of the text we're going to be looking at tonight, you're going to see those two groups of people in these two groups that God is eavesdropping on. So let's look at the passage. Here we go. Malachi 3, verses 13 through 18. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. So you have these two groups of people, right? You see it? Those who look around and complain, those who look up and comprehend. And when you get to the end of this text, there's a distinction. So let's, let's unpack this and see what there is for us to learn from this. Those who are lodging uh, complaints, they have three complaints against God. Complaint number one is this. Look at it in verse uh, 13. Verse 13. We've said nothing wrong. Right? God says in verse 13, you've said harsh things against me. Uh, the King James says, You have said stout, you have said stout things against me. It just means you're speaking harshly against God. And their response is, well, we didn't say anything wrong. What have we said? Um they are obstinate obstinate with God, notice um, that he doesn't say that people are saying strong words to him, they're they're saying strong words against him, harsh words against him, that they are having a conversation with each other about God, Don't, don't miss that, they're not complaining to God, they're talking to each other. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to join in with people when they complain? I heard somebody groan. That's easy, right? We're attracted to those who are sympathetic to our feelings. You know, that's what the entire platform of Facebook is built around, right? Or Twitter. Right? Who's angry today and what about? Let's get on board. It's basically all social media, right? When we grumble against God, we naturally want other people to grumble with us, right? They are complaining to each other about God. Second complaint is this serving is useless look at verse 14 you have said it is futile to serve god what do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the lord almighty so when God deals with their denial it, it had to be pretty disarming right they're basically saying that they're worshiping and, look, we're going to the temple, we're doing everything. We're, we're going through the motions, but it's not getting us anything. It's all empty and vain and useless. There's no point in doing this. The word prophet here is actually a technical term that's used when a weaver cuts out a piece of cloth to patch it, to patch something with. It, it basically refers to what are we getting out of this? So the people are complaining because they're serving God, expecting something from God. What's in it for me? That's the mentality. And these these people are complaining because even when they mourn before God, it doesn't look like he's listening. Their thoughts are very similar uh, to what we read in Isaiah 58.3. It says, why have we fasted and you have not seen it? They're echoing the sentiment you find in Job 21. Who is the almighty that we should serve him? What could we gain by praying to him? And that still rears its ugly head today, right? Some of you are on the verge right now of just quitting. Because you're looking around and you're thinking, why am I doing this? What is what it's not worth following Jesus, right i'm I'm gaining nothing because you just don't see any benefit. Complaint number three, God is not fair. Look at verse fifteen. Now we call the arrogant, blessed, certainly the evil doers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. They look around, they see the proud prospering, and they don't like it. They wonder why evil people evade trouble. Sorry, Siri's talking to They want to know where God's justice is. We do the same thing, don't we? We look around and we see people that that we think qualifies wicked and we go, well, man, they seem to have it pretty good. And and we may look at our situation and we may go, you know what, God? You know, I, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't date girls that do. Uh. I don't go to R-rated movies. I don't listen to Nicki Minaj. God, you owe me. Right? You laugh, but that's where some of us are. We're not any different. Look at Psalm 73. I want you to flip to Psalm 73. You need to see this. Because this idea of grumbling and complaining, and looking around, and saying, God, you're not fair. What good is it for me to follow you is a really old idea. Psalm 73. When you got it, say, I got it. All right, Psalm 73. It's a guy named Asaph, writes this, and he tells us he's on the verge of going AWOL, (laughs) right? Like, I'm just about done. I'm about to slip. I'm out. And here's why. In verse 3 of Psalm 73. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. He wonders, why does life seem so good for those people? They live in the fast lane, but they don't crash and burn. Their life appears effortless and painless and easy. Notice he's not upset with the arrogant or the wicked. He's jealous of them. He wants what they have. Why should the wicked have everything? That was promised to God's covenant people. Since God, you know what, since God's forgotten us or since God's forgotten me, I'm going to forget him. Listen, that may be where you are right now. You may be on the edge of that. Here's the issue this group has. The group that looks around and complains. Here's the issue. When we have the wrong perspective, the problems overshadow the promises. When we have the wrong perspective, the problems overshadow the promises. Here's what I mean. If you go back to Psalm 73, it doesn't end with Asaph slipping into the abyss. You know what happens by the end of Psalm 73? His perspective changes. Our problem is when we, when we keep our view here, horizontal. We're looking around at everybody else and seeing what everybody else has and what I don't have. And we go, you know what, God, you're not being fair to me. But when, when our perspective gets right, when we see that God is a righteous, just holy God, and we don't really want fair. We want mercy. We need to change our perspective. So if you see a little bit of yourself in group number one, just put a pin in that. And let's look at group number two. Group number two is the group that looks up and comprehends, right? Now, remember, God's listening in on the conversations. You've got one group complaining to each other, and then look at what group two does. You see the, the, the two elements there of these people are this. When they look up and comprehend who God is, it's revealed in their character where they exalt God and in their conduct where they exhort each other let's look at the character those who feared the Lord to to fear God you know what that means this is an audience participation moment it means to be afraid yeah we could do with a little more fear in contemporary Christianity right He is to be revered. He is a consuming fire, we are told. And we should tremble before him. Instead of laying some pretty bad charges against him, like the first group did. 1 Samuel 12, 24 says this, Be sure to fear the Lord. And serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. And it is true. The scriptures invite us to call God friend. But sometimes we are way too familiar. He is to be feared. This is what A.W. Tozer said about God. It is to be stunned by the splendor of His presence. God is not there just to meet our needs. We are here to bow before Him and His supremacy in an attitude of holy fear so that we will worship Him with our ways and our words. Deuteronomy 5.29 says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to Fear me and keep my commands so that it might go well with them. Philippians 2.12 encourages us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Most of us could stand to tremble a little more in the presence of God. He's not just the big guy in the sky, right? Or the man upstairs. He is the Lord of hosts. He is God most high. He is Lord of the angel armies. He is king of kings. He is alpha. He is omega. He is other. He is holy, holy, holy. And the remnant in Malachi 3 is in tune with the character of God. And so instead of leveling charges against him, they get together and edify each other. Those who feared the Lord, see it? Those who feared the Lord talked together. They met to mention what God had done for them. They shared, they opened up, they encouraged, they prayed, they worshiped together. In short, they are experiencing biblical community. Those, listen, if you are spiritually alive, you should seek others who have that kind of commitment to the Lord. You need to be that kind of person. Do you have friends who do that for you? When you come together with them, do you come away with this deeper reverence of God? This deep sense of, man, God is good and he has done good things for me. You need a platoon of godly people around you. And, it, and if you don't have that, can I, can I say this to you? you? You need to get into a tribe. Right? This is advertisement for our small groups. We call them tribes. And, and I'm telling you, if you're not in one, you need to be in one. They pray for each other. They pray for the nations They love each other. They serve each other. They encourage and exhort one another. They don't complain about the character and nature of God. And if you're not in one of those groups, you need to be in one. End of advertisement. Listen, if you're always around people who have no use for God and spend most of their time complaining about him, sooner or later, you're going to end up becoming that person. Don't surround yourself with people that don't do anything but complain. And I'm saying that as a dude who complains a lot. Don't put me in a room with another complainer because it's game over, right? I need to be around encouraging people. How many of you know John Barnett? of you, you know this dude, Coach, we call him Coach. Can I tell you the most encouraging human being I've ever been around in my life? Is he? He's not in here, is he? Good, because he would come up to me after and get on to me for saying that. But I mean, I just I need to be around him. It feeds my soul. I love Jesus more and I love people more when I'm around Him. And, and I hope to be the kind of person people would say that about me. You need to be that kind of person. Here's what we're learning if we've learned anything from the book of Malachi every one of us, if we're not careful, we are prone to wander. Right? If the priest can get as sideways as these guys did, what makes you think you're any better off? We, we can slide south spiritually really quickly if we're not in the right group. We've we got to take responsibility and help each other and stay focused on the fear of God and the promises of God. Hebrews 13 Hebrews 3:13 says this, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sins deceitfulness. If you try to do the Christian life solo, you're not going to make it. We need each other. God is committed to his people. Again, in Hebrews, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And once we exalt God and we edify each other, we we get a glimpse of five things that are true about God. I want you to see these. The first thing is this the Lord listens to us. You see it? Those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. Isn't it hard to keep talking when you sense nobody's listening? God is leaning in to hear. Psalm thirty three eighteen 18 says, The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. Psalm 34, 15 reminds us that his ears are attentive to the cries of the righteous. When we turn to God, he turns to us. One commentator puts it this way. He says, The ears of God are strained to hear what the remnant was saying. Kings are making edicts, but God's listening to his people. Generals are giving orders, but God's listening to a handful of people who fear his name. His ears are tuned to his faithful followers. Now, some of us don't want God hearing us, right? Some of us are a little uncomfortable. Because we're embarrassed by what comes out of our mouth and out of our conversations. But God listens. Second thing is this the Lord remembers us. A scroll of remembrance was written. The idea of God keeping a written record appears for the first time actually in Exodus 32. And um, it's this picture, uh, kings kept a register of people who had been ro- uh, loyal to the throne, right? Like all through the uh, ancient history, you see kings doing this. In fact, in Esther, chapter 6, uh, King Xerxes, he he's has this restless, sleepless night, and he calls for the book of records to be brought to him. Right, And he's reading through the book of records and he sees Mordecai's name. And he made sure that Mordecai was compensated. So this idea of having a book of remembrance is not foreign. I I find it very comforting, actually, to know that God captures all of our emotions. This this is what I mean. Psalm 56.8. Do you know this? Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? God doesn't forget your fears, your tears, your pain. He locks into your lament. Third thing is this. We learn about God from this short little passage. The Lord claims us. They will be mine. Those who fear him belong to him. It has the, 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 the echo of Jeremiah 32 in it. They will be my people. I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing good to them and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. They will be mine. If you remember when we went through 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, uh, Paul reminded the Corinthian church, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to God. You are a chosen people, Peter tells us, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God. You belong to the creator of the universe. Some of you, you have so much pain in your life right now, so much hurting in your life because you don't think anybody can love you. God says, they will be mine. And not just that. Fourth thing, he treasures us. In the day when I make up my treasured possession. This, this is, you go back to Exodus nineteen five. It says, now if you obey me fully and keep my commandments, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Have you ever been somebody's treasure? Do you know that God treasures you? He is crazy about you. Let let the words of Isaiah 62 soak into your spirit. You You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand. A royal diadem in the hand of your God. Listen to the love God has for you in Zephaniah three seventeen. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. When's the last time someone said, I delight in you? He will quiet you with his love. That... That's a sermon right there. We live in a world of just unbelievable noise. People telling us how we should measure up, us telling ourselves how we should measure up and how we don't, what we need to do to achieve, what we need, like the checklist is endless. And the scriptures are saying he will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice. I love this. He will rejoice over you with singing. And then the last thing we learn about God. The Lord spares us. I will spare them. Just as in compassion, a man spares his son who serves him. A man spares his son who serves him. You know, when I said we complain, we look around and see the wicked... God, you haven't been fair. You owe me. Here's the reality. None of us deserve this. None of us. I will spare them. Just as in compassion, a man spares his son who serves and obeys. Get your head wrapped around this, right? God spares the disobedient the disobedient son because the obedient son was not spared Romans 8:32 He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things how dare we complain about god i will spare them he who did not spare his own son do you grab hold of those two things and worship your Because God is just, we deserve justice. But, but because he is merciful, we don't get what we deserve. Our perspective is so jacked up. We, in fact, we receive a lot better than we deserve. And that's not mercy, that's grace. Aren't you thankful that God did not spare his son? The very last thing Malachi ends with is this. You will see in the day, there's a day coming where you're going to see the distinction. And you're going to know what group you're in. And so tonight, as we wrap up tonight, this is what I want to ask you. What group are you in? Are you in the ones who look around and complain? Or are you the ones who look up and comprehend that our God is a good God who listens Who has us as his possession. The the Bible makes it clear. There's no middle ground here. You're in one of those groups. You're either saved or lost. You're either alive in Christ or you're dead in your sins. You're either in light or you're in darkness. You're in the kingdom of the sun or in the kingdom of Satan. Satan. There is no middle ground. And if you are not sure what group you are in, let me encourage you, stop denying your guilt and trying to hide your shame before a holy God who's listening in on every conversation. And recognize that serving this king is the only thing that will bring you what you are missing. The Lord listens, he remembers, he claims you, he treasures you, and he wants to spare you. Would you commit yourself to that tonight? Let me pray for us. Father, I'm glad I don't get what I deserve. I'm so thankful I get mercy and grace from you. God, thank you for listening to us, for remembering us, for claiming us as your treasure and for sparing us. Lord, if there's some tonight that don't, Believe they're in, the, they're in the group of complainers. God, I pray that tonight you would help them cry out to you, Jesus, and say, I cannot deny that I am not doing what I need to do. I'm a sinner, and I've been serving myself and not you. And even if I've been trying to serve you, I'm doing it for my own profit. Lord, help us believe that you paid the price for our sin that God you didn't spare your own son but you want to spare us God help us worship you and live and swim in this amazing truth for the name the fame and the renown of King Jesus, we pray. Amen.